Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Flow Line. I'm here with my lovely co-host. We're not in the actual AES recording studio today, but I still get to see his shining face. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you, Justin? I'm doing excellent. Doing excellent. It's getting chilly down here in Tejas. You know, not quite like the motherland, but it is getting chilly. And, you know, I've even had conversations, you know, with different, whether it be mud engineers or some of the customers, it's like, hey, it's getting cold. Is there anything we need to be mindful of with regards to drilling fluids? And it may sound silly because, you know, as you're circulating, the mud's typically warm and, you know, the rigs are, you know, in full operation. But when you're dealing with the cold weather, Matt, there's things we need to consider and, you know, understanding that rigs down on the Gulf Coast when during the wintertime are operating quite a bit differently with regards to the, not necessarily downhole, but just some of the equipment and the things that, you know, we need to do to the rigs differently than say it would be in Canada or Pennsylvania or in the Rockies. I mean, anywhere where it can freeze and stay relatively frozen for extended periods of time. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those, I just think about, you know, us being in Houston and, you know, during Snowmageddon or whatever they called it last year, you know, people were kind of ridiculing us saying, oh man, you can't handle a little bit of snow and cold weather. And it's like, well, nothing is built for it. Right. So anything you do requires either some sort of adjustment. And even if it is, you got to like get somebody to tell you because it's not something you do every day. First off, I think opening this episode, it gets really cold during the winter in Canada. And Justin, could you tell us what the rigs are like? I mean, versus what we see here, where it's generally warm, what are the differences that like the rig is already baked in ready for? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. And it's, and I say back home, that's where I'm from, is it's when I was working on rigs, it was just standard that, you know, in the summertime, you know, you had everything was relatively open, but there was always, you know, as we moved into sort of the fall seasons, and if you were on a pad, that was going to be for an extended time, and you knew the weather, the cold fronts were going to come in and winter was going to set in, there was extra sort of added time on rig up that was spent winterizing the rig, I guess, if you will. And the first thing is we had prefabs all over the rig. So over the rig floor, if you look at a rig, say a picture on a rig, if you've never been on a rig, you can Google drilling rig. A lot of times you can see there's the substructure, which has a bunch of beams and stuff, which is all open. You can see the BOPs, which is the piece of equipment directly above the well. For the most part, aside from just the buildings, it's fairly open. Whereas in Canada, especially, well, the substructures are always enclosed. That's one thing, whether it's summer or winter, they're always enclosed. But the rig floor and then above the rig floor, about 15, 20 feet, it's all enclosed with, it looks like tarps. We call them prefabs. So essentially, if you're on the rig floor, that if it's windy or you know if it's extremely cold and it's snowing, it doesn't directly just come ripping through the rig floor because a lot of times the rig hands might be on the rig floor for 12 hours. Same thing with the derrick, the monkey board, where the derrick hand is, you know, tip when you're making trips or connections, the derrick hand's up there. Well, that's also enclosed with prefabs and tarps. So that way, you know, if it's minus 30 with a minus 80 wind chill, the folks up there aren't exposed to that. I mean, they're still exposed to that temperature, but it's really just to avoid the wind to make it even worse. So one thing is it'd be the prefabs. There's a lot more enclosed areas. And then there's other spots within location 
that are added. And one building is called, you know, the boiler room, or they'll call it the boiler. And it's exactly that. It's a boiler. And what it does is it generates steam. And then the whole entire rig is plumbed in with steam lines. And then there's steam heaters. So every building has a steam heater running through it. And so it heats up the buildings, heats up the doghouse, heats up the rig floor, which it doesn't really heat up the rig floor, but at least it kind of drops the temperature. Because if you can imagine you're kind of enclosed and if you've got a few steam heaters on the rig floor and you're somewhat enclosed and the only thing exposed is just above you. And you it takes know, a while to escape. Yeah, it kind of helps heat that up. And especially for the driller, if he's out, well, nowadays the drillers in probably the doghouse. Back when I was working, the driller was still on the brake handle. And so he or she would be standing on the brake handle for 12 hours a day. So there'd be a steam heater right behind him. And then there'd be steam heaters kind of pointing towards the rig floor. So guys like me working tongs all night, you know, could at least when you had a few seconds break, you could run over, warm up your hands a little bit and then get back to the tongs. So there's these heaters kind of strategically placed throughout the rig. So if you're working in certain areas, you could stay warm. And so that's the biggest part of it, which adds quite a bit of time and effort to rig all that up. But like I said, every rig in Canada is plumbed in with steam lines. So that way when it comes time, they can spot the boiler, you know, a bunch of hammer unions connect everything and every building is essentially connected with steam. Yeah. I mean, that seems huge as far as just, and I bet the irony is, yeah, it takes extra time, but like, if you're a hand, you know, like you directly benefit from this work, right? Like (laughs) it might be extra work, but I just can't imagine on a windy day in the winter, trying to be up on the monkey boards. And it's like, it's one thing to have all of your snow gear on or whatever, you know, your flame retardant, heavy, you know, clothes on, but then also to be taking gusts of wind while you're trying to handle pipe or just, I can't think of many worse things than that. I'll never forget. I was, we were rigging up one time in Pincher Creek. And if anyone's familiar with Pincher Creek is it's south of Calgary. And I thought people were joking when they say the trees grew sideways. That's just, you know, a funny saying, but no, it was so windy all the time that the trees literally on some areas of Pincher Creek would kind of grow at an angle. It would never snow coming down at you. It would always be snowing sideways. And so it was just like the oddest thing, but we were rigging up one time and yeah, it was minus 40 with a minus 60 wind chill. And it was the only time and it was so windy that, yeah, we actually had to shut down and wait till the wind died down because someone was trying to set up their solace control equipment and we had on the boom line a piece of equipment and it was so windy that it, the person was holding onto a, a tagline and it you know whipped around and it just this huge beam came spinning around the rig and almost took someone out and so after that the tool pusher was finally like okay guys like let's shut her down for a few hours here and wait till this thing heats up or i think maybe we even shut it down for the night and then we went back next morning but but regardless yeah working in those conditions is tough and but the thing is like you said alluding to earlier the, the point being is that when you're in those conditions and you know that and you're expecting it, you can build it and create an environment where it's actually manageable. Whereas down here, that was the first thing I noticed when I came down here. I was like, why are the substructures all open? That's weird. And then I was like, well, where's the boiler? And do you guys not have steam lines? And it was like, what are you talking about? Go back to Canada. Yeah. Right. So it's kind of silly to think, but it's like, oh, right. Cause yeah, I mean, rigs are all built to essentially work in those specific environments. And but, you know, aside from just the hands that are having to work in those things, it, you also have to consider the drilling fluid implications. And down here, and, you know, this is something that more getting onto the sort of the fluid side of things, Matt. I mean, from your perspective, when it comes to temperature, what are some of the things on the drilling fluid side of things should we be sort of mindful of as we start getting into these cooler, cooler temperatures as we approach freezing and then even beyond freezing? Like, that can have some detrimental effects on how we run the mud. Well, for sure. I mean, 
obviously the contrast between surface, like as long as you're circulating, normally you're getting some warmth from everything going on down hole and that can be helpful, but the fluid will get thicker at surface. I mean, we see it all the time and it doesn't take long to warm it up, but thicker fluid, more pump, you know, Mm -hmm. and that can affect everything. A colder fluid isn't going to be processed by solids control as efficiently. The other thing I think about too, is depending on how cold it is, like we usually put on our product bulletins, the poor point of the product, but you know, oil-based mud might not freeze, but some of your additives, once it gets cold enough, and this is true of most liquid additives, they don't pour anymore. And so you're either going to have to warm them up or not use them. I know people who worked in Alaska and they said one of the things was getting the product to like, they had one heated shack, as they said. And so you had to know what you were going to treat, how much you expected to treat that day because you sort of had this rotation of getting product into a warming area with drum heaters and then bringing it out and adding it and kind of adding more stuff as soon as you have room and that kind of rotation. And we talked about in a previous episode where that's why there was a lot of interest in using dry products because they don't require any of that. Of course, some of that stuff never took off. The other thing you have to think about is fluids and storage, right? So, I mean, it's not as big of a deal because you don't need it immediately and you can roll the tanks and all that good stuff. But water-based mud, for example, you know, in a frag tank, yeah, there's a chance it could freeze, at least if you don't keep it moving. And then the other thing to think about is the pumps. So if you leave fluid in the pumps that you were going to use to roll the tanks or whatever, you can crack the housing if you don't drain them when it freezes, if there's residual drilling fluid or brine in there. It's this orchestra of preparation and mindfulness. What would you say is the thing that us down here are like, it gets cold. What is like the number one thing that you think we sort of need to be mindful of on the rig to keep things moving? Right out of the gate. It's making sure you're, whenever it does get below freezing is you always have fluid running through your lines or you make sure you blow them down. Cause if you don't and you freeze your lines, you can completely halt the drilling operation. Like, you know, a lot of times too. So the rig I worked on, it was a Kelly rig. And so you'd always have to blow down the Kelly. And so now with top drives, again, I'm trying to remember back as a mud engineer, but I don't remember having to blow down the top drive and mainly because I was not working in Canada when I was a mud engineer. But nonetheless, that's, you know, make sure if you do have, if it starts going below freezing, all your water lines are like, typically everything, it's always circulating anyways, but that's always something to be mindful of. If you're going to have fluid that's just static, make sure you blow it down or you even just crack the valve, especially obviously water lines. If it's diesel, you're not really worried about it. Any of your mud pump lines, everything else is keep things circulating. So you avoid it. Cause if you go to turn that pump on and it's frozen, you're going to run into some issues and likely some downtime. Yeah. I got a question a few days ago where somebody said, Hey, you know, what's a good funnel this we're going to log here soon. And I was like, I don't know because it's cold, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> I'm sure the fluid downhole is warmer, but like, you're going to have to tell me what the fluid temperature is coming out of the trip tank and check that rheology or something. Because quite frankly, like, I don't really know what to tell you based on funnel this, if you've been, you know, out of the hole for that long and about to do a run, you know, right? it can get pretty thick, especially where you sample off the top of the pit too, right? Like lower down because it doesn't agitate as well as it cools, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of stuff. So yeah. One other thing too, is kind of like, if it does get cold, it can get slips, trips and falls. And you know, it sounds silly, but unless you're drilling again with oil-based mud, but if you're drilling with a water-based mud, everything could freeze. So if all of a sudden that was always a big thing we had to be mindful of is every trip or every time we made a connection, we always make sure we sprayed it down 
to make sure that, you know, you didn't have a bunch of mud and ice around because any spilt mud just became very hazardous, even like on the floor, wherever. But on a drilling fluid perspective, so if you're drilling, say, with more of like a salt-based mud or a brine, that's one thing too to note is is like a freshwater-based mud is going to freeze at different temperatures than say a brine, a KCL. And so in West Texas, we drill, just hypothetically speaking, you're out on a rig with a saturated brine. Off the top of your head, at what temperature will that freeze? Is it quite a bit different than freshwater or how would you? Well, I'd have to look at my table because, and here's why. So you have the the TCT, your true crystalline temperature, right? Yeah. And it's normally in the shape of a V where the freezing point lowers as you add salt and then it comes back up after a certain point and that eutectic point where it switches, one side, you're lowering the freezing point with salt. And then on the other side, the crystallization temperature, crystallization is ice crystals, but it can also be salt crystals. So once you reach a certain saturation point, we know that salt, it's cold and salt doesn't want to stay in solution. So that's not technically freezing, but you can't keep it a mud weight, right? Mm -hmm. Golly, I don't know why I don't know this off the top of my head. But if you looked at a brine table, you would see they're generally V-shaped. And so on the left side, you're suppressing freezing. So it might be at, you know, 9.3 or 9.5, you have a much, much colder freezing point than freshwater. However, at 10 pounds, it says the crystalline temperature is, let's say, 60 degrees Fahrenheit or something. And what it means is the salt is going to come out of solution because of how cold it is. And now you're not going to have 10 pound brine anymore. So when it warms back up, you should be able to, you know, hopefully agitate that all back into solution and it, you know, it'll be okay. But keep that in mind if you're trying to do a transfer or something like that, that you may be pulling light fluid. That's the only thing that could stay in solution. No, that's something to be definitely aware of, especially you know, on a rig and before everyone starts to freak out is just understand the temperature and how it impacts your the system that you have on location. One other thing too, if you've been out of the hole for a long time and you go back in and your surface volume is super, super cold, the one thing you don't want to do is just get back to the bottom and start hammering on the pumps because then you could, you know, you risk inducing losses because if you have this very cold mud, it's going to be thick and it's going to take, you know, two or three full circulations, depending on how deep you are and how hot your formation temperatures are to get the fluid completely sort of uniformly on the same temperature. Because those temperature variations, when it hits the bit and then starts coming around, your ECDs could spike. And, and ultimately, if you're in an area prone to losses, you could induce losses. And that is uh, no bueno. Right. And that's sort of the classic case. Think about deep water. We've talked about those low ECD muds. We have a YouTube video on it. But what you have is you have a very cold fluid because you've been out of the hole for a while. And then downhole, you have a warmer fluid, but you start pumping that cold fluid downhole and it's thick and it surges your formation. And so those low ECD muds were actually designed for things like this. I would say that you don't need all of that jewelry for what we do, but it does go to show like keeping your gels under control and maybe checking your rheology at a lower temperature, you know, not report API temperature, but you know, kind of checking and seeing how's it behaving as it gets colder could be little observations to say, I definitely want to warm this stuff up and I definitely want to stage in. There's no reason to go on losses when it's already so cold out. You don't want to have to go to the hopper and deal with this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, that's exactly, Matt. And again, without getting into the chemistry and specifics on certain products, you know, I think high level, it's, again, it's a good conversation. It's something to be aware of as we approach colder temperatures and who knows if you're from somewhere where you haven't experienced cold weather on a rig, it's just something to be mindful of and be aware of. And I can't really think of anything else, Matt, any closing last words? 
No, I, I think you've covered quite a lot. It's interesting to us right now as winter falls in Houston, we're actually like looking at cold weather and some of these places where it's so much warmer, most of the time, we're going to get a little bite. No, that's true. I guess last thing I would mention is there's a lot of good gear out there that will keep you warm, clearly. But what I would be mindful of is if you're out on a rig and you're running around, you've got a bunch of gear on and then you take it off and then you're standing around. I mean, it seems obvious, but if you don't have proper gear, you can risk of not getting hypothermia is maybe excessive. But I just remember back in the day, you know, I would try and buy, you know, I didn't have as much money. So I was like, oh, I'll just buy some cheap long johns and set in the other Well, They would get wet and then they would freeze. And then I'd wonder why I was getting, you know, sick and everything else. But spend, if you know you're going to be outside in some cold weather, spend the money on some good gear because a lot of that stuff is just, and especially if you're out on a rig for 12 hours a day, do yourself a favor, get some Bama socks. If you don't know what those are, let me know. I know exactly what they are. They're a lifesaver. But dress for the occasion. Don't cheap out on winter gear because you don't want to get sick, especially in those environments. But that was kind of the last thing I wanted to mention. I think that's a good point. It's just from it being safe and you mentioned slip trips and falls, the right gear. And then I think the other part of it is, I think as a mud engineer, we want to be out by the pits. And thankfully, you know, normally that's a pretty warm area or at least by the shakers is, but like, don't overdo it. You got to be careful giving a mud engineer advice to stay in the trailer. But at the same time, I mean, do what you need to do and go back in and warm up. There's no need to have prolonged exposure just for the sake of being out there. Make sure it's relevant activity all the way through, or at least you're in a warm place when you do some of these things, because your body's not used to it like these Canadian people. <laughs> you're right. Well, I don't know. Now I might be soft. I'd go out there and I don't know if I could hang with the boys from back home, but nonetheless, it's good conversation, Matt, and appreciate everyone listening. If you have any questions or thoughts, or if you want to share a story about who knows, I mean, it'd be cool to have someone if they were on that had drilled in Alaska. I'm sure they have a whole nother, you know, suite of procedures and things on a rig because I mean, that is a whole nother level, but either way, if you have any questions, thoughts, comments, connect with us on LinkedIn, both Matt and I are on there regularly connect with AS drilling fluids. We have our LinkedIn page continuously putting out awesome content that you can learn from, stay educated, stay informed on what we're doing and what the industry is doing. Or if you want to reach us over email, you can send us an email at the flowline podcast at aesfluids.com. And with that said, thanks for listening, everyone. Appreciate the support. Take care for now. Take care guys. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.